So hello, I'm Alex Rutke and I'm a barrister at 39 Essex Chamber specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm really pleased to be joined today virtually uh, from my shed by Emma Overton. Um, Emma, as you know, I always like the people who are appearing in, in the shed with me to introduce themselves rather than me trying to pretend I know exactly uh, what you do. So Emma, can you let the people listening to this and watching this give a, give a pen picture of your, yourself and your background and, and why we're having this conversation today? Okay. So I'm Emma. I work for North East Lincolnshire Clinical Commissioning Group. Um, my role spans both health and social care because in North East Lincolnshire, the CCG is also responsible for commissioning adult social care as well as health. So my role as policy and practice development lead really means that across health and social care, I try to support the CCG and council to ensure that the policies and the practice that they implement are lawful. So I've approached you today um, about the case of Jackie Maguire, referring to her as Jackie because I believe that that was how she was referred to within the judgment itself that we're going to be discussing because I'm very concerned about the issues that the case highlights and I'm hopeful that out of um, Jackie's sad case we might be able to develop some more positive practice that could be relevant to all of us across health and social care. Thank you, thank you. And we're going to, you know, in a minute, sort of want you to, to, to explain to people a bit more about, about Jackie's case. And so we say we're calling her that because that's what the Court of Appeal referred to her as. And we'll put a link to the judgment at the bottom. And I think just, just from one, sort of get one thing out of the way first, which is that Jackie's case arises in a specific context of an inquest and what the scope of the inquest into her death should, uh, what, what it should cover. And, and actually for what I think why you were concerned and why I'm concerned in a way weirdly has got less to do with the scope of the inquest and more yes. to do with the underlying issues which it, which it throws up about her care and the care of people in her position more generally. So, that, so we can sort of get a get an idea of people listening to this can get an idea of what the concerns were. Can you do you mind just sort of outlining a little bit about about Jackie's story and, and, and the kind of key yeah, points? Absolutely. Concern? Yeah. So Jackie was um, a middle aged woman. She had Down syndrome, learning disabilities, some um, behavioural issues and also some physical challenges. So I believe that she'd been um, living in a residential setting for more than a decade before her death. That placement was paid for by her local authority, supervised and managed by her local authority. As a result of her mental disorder, she lacked mental capacity in respect of her care and treatment arrangements and couldn't make any decisions around her medical care. Um, she was therefore subject to a doll's authorisation. So... I believe that Jackie actually died with, uh, in 2017, of course, um, because of the way that the court processes worked. It's only been relatively recently that we've had um, the outcome of her case. I believe that Jackie died from natural causes uh, in, in accordance with the, the coroner's verdict. Um, but in fact, the series of events that I'm interested in is what led up to Jackie's death. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that she'd been ill for between seven and 10 days prior to her sad death um, but in the very immediate run-up to her death there'd been um, a telephone consultation with her GP and the staff supporting Jackie at her residential home. Um, some paramedics came in the evening to try to escort Jackie to hospital however she had a known uh, 
fear of hospitals. She had been known to reject medical treatment in the past, not only in hospital, but also via her GP. So perhaps unsurprisingly, Jackie refused to go to hospital. The paramedics were concerned that in order to get her there, they would have had to have manhandled her and that that would have been disproportionate given that there were no red flag signs which indicated that Jackie's life was immediately at risk. So in conjunction, I understand with an out-of-hours GP who concurred that the best thing for Jackie was that she would stay at home that evening and continue to be monitored. That is what happened. Uh, but then by the next day, Jackie was even more unwell. The paramedics were called again. This time, Jackie was taken to hospital. She was found really to be very severely unwell by this time. Um, septic shock had set in and regrettably later that day Jackie died of a heart attack. And it's a it's a it's a deeply tragic state of affairs and it's, it's obviously this is very much her case and I just sort of drawing back out drawing back up out of it it sort of shows different ways in which different bodies are interacting or, or potentially not interacting and I'm sort of wondering if you can sort of Spell out from wearing your hats that you described at the beginning, when you were reading this judgment, your reactions, thinking, hang on a minute, what opportunities, for instance, might be missed? What, what, what could have been done here? Mm. Well, the two particular points in, interested me about um, the court's judgment. Firstly, that um, the, there was a charge of systemic failure by the relevant professionals involved in Jackie's case to ensure that given that she was a known refuser of medical care, given that it was broadly agreed that she didn't have capacity to make choices around her medical care, why those supporting Jackie hadn't found an opportunity, should we say, to um, work together to proactively plan for if such a situation that did occur um, occurred in future. So that's one issue which I'll perhaps come back to. Mm. But the other issue, which I particularly um, picked up on, was the court's assertion that there was no evidence that um, persons in Jackie's sort of situation uh, have trouble accessing urgent medical care. The reason that struck me so forcibly was because around the time that the judgment was made available, the national leader, the Learning Disabilities Mortality Review Report, was made available for this year. And that highlights there are significant differences in accessing care and treatment between those in the general population and those in uh, Jackie's position, those with learning disabilities, both in terms of avoidable deaths and access to care and treatment. There was some recurring themes around professionals not joining up care around the individuals, some failures in communication, um, failures to understand and apply the Mental Capacity Act to ensure that incapacitous people do access urgent care. Um, it, even a recommendation that in future CQC should use uh, benchmarking against the MCA uh, in, in terms of assessing practitioner practice uh, to, to measure against. So I thought that they were all uh, things which resonated for me. And I was, as I say, su somewhat surprised that the court felt that there was no wider evidence that it wasn't just Jackie, in other words, that wasn't accessing the care that she needed, that this was a wider problem. Mm. So given that it is my view that it is a wider problem than just Jackie, um, and that Jackie's tragic case could perhaps provide us with 
a springboard for doing better for other people. I want to move back then to this consideration of systemic dysfunction. So whether or not um, in this case, it's, it's worth spelling out, I think, that the charge of systemic dysfunction was not evidenced, said the court. So, but my view would be that collectively, providers and commissioners, we could do more to work together to avoid cases like Jackie's. That might be um, ensuring that appropriate case management processes are in place, that um, appropriate processes are in place to share information, um, to ensure that um, risks which were known and could have been responded to are proactively planned for. And I think that uh, the MCA provides the legal framework for us to do that, starting from the position of supported decision-making. Ideally, people are uh, enabled to make decisions themselves, but where that's not possible, they are supported to join in with decisions which are being made on, on their behalf in their best interests. And then we, we come up to uh, some difficulties in the area of section five and six, where practitioners start to get confused and concerned about whether the um, authority given them within article five to proceed in the absence of capacitous consent, taking into account um, the necessity and proportionality required by section six, whether that is sufficient or whether they've tipped over into requiring additional authorization and perhaps even input from the court. So those are some of the more um, challenging and complex legal areas, I think. But in terms of the practicalities, um, I, I think that there is more that if we were perhaps more alive to it than we have been, there is more that we could do to support routine planning in cases such as Jackie's. So there's so much to unpack there. That's brilliant. Thank you for expressing it so succinctly. So there's, there's as it were, the, the, the practical difference in the information sharing, the recognising that there is an individual around whom various things may need to be wrapped in different ways. That, that, that's a very, very practical aspect. And I think, but I do think it's really important that you've sort of drawn out, it seems to me important that you've drawn out, there is a legal, there is a legal complexity and behind which people can't hide but we kind of need to grapple with to make sure that it seems to me people need to grapple with to make sure that they are, they're understanding what, what they're doing and where they, where, where they can act and where they might need to go, hang on a minute, I need to go and see a grown up. And I, it, you and I were talking just before we, as it were, came on air. And one of the things we were, we were sort of just, just throwing about is it's partly because of the way that the Mental Capacity Act just has to cover such an enormous range of things connected with acts of care and treatment there's a sort of there was almost a deliberate parliamentary choice that we're not going to say here are the range of things you can do and you can do these but so far and no further and if at the no further point you have to come and find a court they just don't it doesn't spell it out in quite that way and obviously okay. that then does lead to that complexity where you go I mean just to use Jackie's case as an example but reiterating we're just all we're doing is looking at the judgment and we're seeing, we're not using it saying this is exactly what happened. We weren't there. We can't no, know. No. But just looking at that case and the way you're describing that she's saying, no, I don't want to go to hospital. And the paramedics being concerned. Well, are we allowed to take her to hospital or not? And that's a kind of a legitimate question to ask. You know, how far is this an act in connection with care and treatment? Are we actually restraining her? Well, if we're restraining her, is that necessary in proportion to the risk of harm she would, she would suffer otherwise? 
am I actually going to bring about a deprivation of her liberty in the ambulance on the way to the hospital? Mm. You know, is it going to be a long enough period of time that it might be a deprivation of liberty? Oh God, can I do that? And there's, so there's, there is some kind of legal mess there, which, I mean, I'll put a link to a guidance or doc, an, an article I wrote a little while ago, which tries to think about some of that, but I do think it's really important you, you bring it out. And I was wondering what, from, but from a very practical perspective, so that we're not then leaving people thinking, oh my God, this is a mess. I've no idea what to do. From the, the very practical perspective that you're bringing to it, what, do you, what, what things would you be suggesting for people where they're engaging, whether that's commissioner side or provider side, or even third sector support side, with a position where you've got someone who's known, you know, might say, I don't want to go, but you think they may not have capacity. What are the sort of tools that you might be thinking might mm -hmm. be down the back of the sofa you could draw out? I think navigating the incapacitous refusals of care is something that um, many professionals find extremely challenging, whether they should simply accept that somebody doesn't want to go or whether, in fact, it, it, that refusal shouldn't be accepted. Further investigations should be made and, in fact, action should be taken in somebody's best interest against their wishes if that's what's necessary and proportionate. So it, it is extremely challenging. I think it's for practitioners. I think it's equally challenging for commissioners in the sense that you've already referenced with regard to drafters of the Mental Capacity Act in that one obviously wants to be clear regarding um, commissioner expectations, but not become so uh, narrow or restrictive that um, any instruction becomes almost impossible to apply. So I guess I would see this approaches to situations like Jackie's proactive approaches as being in effect an extension of good care planning. I would like to think that um, particularly where a person is a known refuser of medical care that it is entirely within the bounds of a possibility that um, decisions could be made in anticipation that that refusal might occur again in future and how practitioners would then work together to manage that. So there are, as you may know, um, all sorts of national initiatives, particularly in, in the COVID context, mm -hmm. to try and support practitioners to work together more productively, um, particularly in a care home context, to make sure that um, care home professionals get uh, a higher level of medical expertise to help them. So I'm thinking that our approach within North East Lincolnshire will be to start with um, a discussion at our Safeguarding Adults Board, because that involves many, perhaps not all, but many of the key professionals that need to be part of this discussion to see what ideas they might have um, about uh, practical approaches to these situations. I have already um, drafted an amendment to our Mental Capacity Act policy, by which um, all commissioners and providers in North East Lincolnshire are bound at commissioned providers. Um, I have ensured that that's reflected in uh, contractual amendments for our providers. Um, we have scheduled um, a workshop for key professionals again to think through what does this mean for us? Is there a gap around training? Is it simply, simply um, a case of people needing to better understand the Mental Capacity Act and how to apply it or to feel more confident with that? Do we need to um, address considerations of unconscious bias 
do we need to unpack more as I say not um, specifically talking about Jackie's case and the professionals involved there but do we need to think about the way in which professionals approach those with learning disabilities or, or others who are not able to express capacitors wishes so there's a, a lot of ideas that we've got that we might um, use to make improvements but I, I certainly wouldn't pretend that regrettably that we've got all the answers for doing it better. No but I mean it, it, well, no one does um, and, and I think it's but it's, it's really helpful to hear the kind of practical steps and I know you very kindly said that if, if people want to kind of know more in detail that you're happy to share information and I'll, rel I'll relay the request on to you as it were. But I think just one point I might also make is to some extent in some of these, well, in fact in quite a few of these situations I personally would want to be digging into well, what's going on with the person potentially refusing care. What, why is it? You know, is there, and I've seen it, you've seen enough cases, one has seen enough cases where there's some triggering thing underpinning that I don't want to go to hospital, Absolutely. which if there is some creative way to get around that, then one is at least in the zone where you're not saying, I'm dealing with someone who I know is going to refuse, that there's work which could be done to say, well, actually, how could we make sure that this person is, is supported to understand that hospital is the right place at this particular time. So there are lots of, I think, practical um, stages of thinking that perhaps um, practitioners can be supported to think through, which might produce a more positive result. Yeah. And then having those staging posts of and identifying in time, well, we think we're going to try this, but actually we need to have the contingency plan and then the contingency plan has to be, well, we're comfortable that this stays within the zone where we can do this reliant on the Mental Capacity Act alone, or this is in the zone where actually we can't do this. It's not a failure on our part, but what we need to do to secure this person's interest is actually beyond what we're allowed to do. We need to get a court of protection judge. Absolutely. And I should say, I can, hear the, I can hear the Vice President of the Court of Protection very loudly in my ear saying if health and social care practitioners are in that zone where contingency planning is required and may involve the court the critically important thing is you make sure that you get to court early rather than late so that mm, you can do absolutely. things like taking into account what the person actually wants or doesn't want rather than dealing with the screaming emergency because the court can deal with a screaming emergency but the courts are really clear now that puts p the person concerned it puts them at a huge disadvantage in terms of knowing is this really the right thing to do because you're talking in best interest sometimes it's going to include overriding someone's wishes but that's a pretty yeah. you know we've got to be sure that's the right thing to do absolutely no I, I completely agree and there seems to have been uh, more cases where authorities are willing to make prescriptive applications and plan in anticipation but I know that there have also been others where the court has been displeased that yeah. um, people left it until the last minute when arguably that could have been avoided. Yeah I mean I think it's I think it's, it seems to me that there is definitely a, a trend in the right direction towards people recognizing and I think it's the point I would really emphasize is this isn't a failure the need potentially to go to court. If it seems to you that the, as the professional, that the one thing you need to do is sec to secure this person's interest, most likely their right to life is X, but you can't do that reliant on section five and six, you need to go to court. And I always mm -hmm. find it interesting, it's a little bit like um, if you deal with childcare cases, people involved in childcare cases don't think it's a failure no. to go to court. It's just no, it's something true. which has to be done. 
you try and you know if you don't have to you don't have to you work with that you just have to do it and I think sometimes historically medical treatment cases people have tried to avoid going because they perceive it as a failure but I think there's you will see you know as you've just mentioned there have been an awful lot more cases recently where people are coming in and saying yeah, mm. yeah. arguably one one might say that the best way of avoiding going to court although there are some situations in, in which of course it shouldn't be avoided but arguably the best way to avoid having to go to court at, certainly at the last minute is utilizing the existing processes within the MCA yeah. ensuring that you do support somebody to make their own decision you do enable and involve that person in decision making you do secure the input of their relevant others to yeah. decide what might be appropriate so should such a situation arise in the future so if, if all of that was in place even if then one did have to go to court, at least um, you would be in a, a much, much better position to do so more speedily than if you were having to start from scratch at the last moment. Yeah. Well, thank you. Emma. We're, we're, we're out of time, I'm afraid, but there are so many other aspects of this, which are just, I mean, it's, it, we wanted, I, I know you were concerned about Jackie's case and, and equally I was concerned and I'm concerned and trying to use it as a springboard to think about wider issues. So, We'll put a link to that, uh, put a link to that note I talked about, about section five and section six. And thank you again for your willingness. Um, if people do want to learn more about what, what you're up to, 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 to receive questions via me. So thanks so much again for your time, Emma, and I'm now gonna press the stop button. Thank you.